This is Pop Fizz, Episode 4, Comfort Food, Part 2. Alright, and we're back. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And we're back, question mark. Um, So So we're continuing our comfort food episode, and it's my turn to bring the comfort food, and it's also my turn to bring the fiction. And so, (laughs) this is Amanda. (laughs) I realized we should introduce ourselves at the beginning of the episode. No, no. This is Jane. Um, I know, I know, you were wondering. (laughs) All right, okay, comfort food. Comfort food episode continues. All right. So I brought a series that for some reason speaks directly to my soul. And it's a series of fantasy books by Martha Wells. It's called The Books of the Rexura. Okay. So it's seven books, but the original series is only three books. Um, The Cloud Roads, The Serpent Sea... And the Siren Depths. There were two additional volumes released that were kind of like collections of short stories and novellas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are two other books that were released after that that are a continuation of the series, um, sort of by popular demand. Yup. Yeah. <laughs> I understand so, that. Yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting, I, I want to talk a little bit about the author first, just because I want, I like to talk a little bit about authors and then I'm going to talk a, a, about the actual series and why I love it so much. That sounds good. And I found this author in my uh, library at home Uh, when I was like 12 and she so she was originally writing probably in the 90s early 2000s right Mm -hmm. and uh her name's Martha Wells I mentioned she wrote several books she won multiple awards for her books and then she vanished for like 10 years and I'm sorry I just had the thought of like and then the fire nation attacked Right? No, essentially, (laughs) essentially, that's what happened. And I won't go into details, but it was one of those, like, author beware situations where she had a really bad agent and it destroyed her career for for a little bit. She is now happily, like, back in the world writing amazing stuff. And her um, uh, most recent work is uh, the Murderbot series. Which, which I have actually read a good chunk of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, so that's her first real science fiction. Um, her previous work before that was really very secondary world um, kind of fantasy is how I would classify it. So fantasy this and is sci-fi a... are so usually like, like just different, different um, trappings for very similar tropes very similar concepts very similar stories I think. right for sure and there's actually one of her stories um bone city mm-hmm. bone something i forget what it's bone called bone city it... Sorry. 
<laughs> There's one of City of Bones or something. I can't remember. But it's, I think it's that one that is um, set in what could very well be like a future society where mm-hmm. we have um, mucked around and destroyed our world, kind of similar to uh, Dream Snake. Yeah. If you've read that by Vonda McIntyre, another really lovely, lovely story. I haven't um, read that, but it, it makes me think of um, the fifth season. Right. Very similar kind of like fifth season feel for that one where all the men of this particular like group of people um, are basically like seahorses. They have little pouches that when the like woman has the baby, they put it in their pouch and grow it. Anyway, it's great. (laughs) I did not expect you to say seahorses. (laughs) <laughs> well, like seahorses because that's what seahorses do it's, it's <laughs> you just should have seen my reaction <laughs> I was They're like very seriously and then I was like what? <laughs> so the reason I love Martha Wells is because she does stuff like that she, it's just like out of left field wow this is a really weird concept except I love it <laughs> and the cloud roads is like that so Yes. Bring it back. Tell me more. The books of the Rexura are a series of books about that are set in what's called the three worlds. So it's a secondary world where there's all these different um, sentient species, and they all look. They have like no common ancestor. Uh, mm-hmm. They all have evolved sort of separately and look totally different and have totally different cultures and expectations for things um and specifically the at the beginning of the book um the main character is living with like a whole other group a whole other species of people Mm. and who don't look anything like him they are like semi-amphibian maybe and have like green skin or whatever and he looks kind of like just a human being except there's a secret that he has and it's that he can transform into this winged dragon cat and by that i mean it's a it's like i'm trying to describe it so the raksura are these like dragon people almost i mean that's how i think of them so they they're people they look like us and then they can also be like these scaled all over with giant bat wing people. <laughs> like, who? <laughs> and so, so, you know, there's I'm, a I'm lot. You, <laughs> <laughs> and every time I recommend the, these books, I have a really hard time figuring out how to describe it to anyone because the idea, the concept is just so kind of out there. Mm-hmm. but these books are you know we were talking in our last section about like gender fluidity and about like you know finding yourself and all these themes that you found in drag for me these books are that because they so the main character is you know he doesn't know who he is he doesn't know what species he is he has some big memories of all of his family getting killed when he was like the equivalent of five years old right 
And so he doesn't know anything about himself. He's grown up in this almost alien body in the sense that he doesn't have, like, the cultural trappings to even understand, like, you know, how long will he live? He doesn't know. Yeah. How, like, what is his puberty going to be like? No fucking clue. You know, like, he to is be fair, how- no one knows what their puberty is going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get what you mean. There's, it's this weird, boy, yeah, that does tail into a lot of the things we were talking about last time really well. This like not knowing your body and not knowing right. what it does. And there's an added complication in his case, because in the three worlds, there's one species of, of people. And I use species because they cannot like interbreed a lot of times and they don't have common ancestors. So just to, to um, uh, specify why I'm using that word. There's one species of people who are really, really bad news. They're like the orcs of the three worlds. And they're called the Fell. And they look a lot like him. Oh, no. But they're not him. Because he's a beautiful dragon cat. Because he's a beautiful dragon cat, (laughs) exactly. And the Fell kind of look like if he had had a baby with the Predator. (laughs) And so... (laughs) And so, <laughs> but they can shapeshift like he can and they look very similar in their like human forms right mm-hmm. and um he has been run out of a lot of places because he looks like fell and the fell are really bad and they eat people like sentient people it's their favorite thing to do and so, um, at the very beginning of the book, here's this this person who has been rejected over and over, has had to deal with the trauma of like, well, I look like those things over there, but I'm a good person. Ah, and then also just you know, finally thinks that he's kind of like found a place in this uh, camp of other creatures that are definitely not his kind of creature but he's like taking a wife with them and stuff he's oh. at this point he's like 40 years old that's and, different too cool uh-huh. right but he's still young for as his as species as that's yeah. like frodo yeah exactly it's, it's like yeah like frodo 40 years old yes for sure <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> like that strapping little teenager at 90 years old yeah right yeah (laughs) and he um get they find him out and he gets Mm -hmm. kicked out and they like go to like sacrifice him basically in the woods but you know because they're like oh he's he's one of the fell he's a bad bad person who ate all our grandparents or whatever (laughs) and he gets saved by one of his own kind which kind of starts the whole story. And now that I've finally gotten to the actual beginning of the story, <laughs> 11 minutes in. <laughs> now there are seven more books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, <laughs> so the whole first trilogy, the reason I come back to it so much is it's about him dealing really with his trauma and like finding himself, but in this really like not necessarily a super intentional way like he's a very practical person mm-hmm. uh because he has had to be 
So he gets taken in by this group of people and there's a lot of suspicion because he isn't, you know, he's an outsider. But they kind of like need him. He finds out what his gender role is within the community, which is very different from any of the gender roles he's previously taken on. Um, So that's a struggle for him throughout the series. Um, and it turns out that he's actually, that they're a matriarchal society and their, their females are bigger and stronger than their males. So even though he's been like bigger and stronger his whole life and he's had, and he's used to fending for himself, his gender is supposed to be very protected because he's a fertile male. And so he has, he's supposed to be this like sheltered princess basically. And he's a warrior. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. It definitely doesn't parallel human interactions, but I think there's so much comforting in it for me um, as somebody who has, you know, struggled at times with expectations of how I should interact with the world or where Mm -hmm. I fit into things. Um, Moon's story, the main character, his name is Moon. His story is just something that like I really connect to. And every time I read it, I read this book about once a year. Mm-hmm. And every time I read it, I just like, I'm just cheering for him so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just feel for him so much, even though I already know like what the outcomes are going to be, which I think is a mark of a very good story and something that you've connected with really well is, is something that you can come back to again and again and take different things out of it and really um, feel like remind yourself of the lessons that you learned from it the first time. That's, um, that's how I feel about Hedwig and the Angry Inch, <laughs> which I, I probably should rewatch sometime, um, which is an amazing, it's a musical. There's an amazing movie version of it that uh, does have the creator of Hedwig. Um, I think, oh boy, John Cameron Mitchell, I believe is his name. Um, and it was like this amazing Broadway show. He basically workshopped in drag venues and everything. And the, the concept is basically that Hedwig is someone who, um, went through, um, basically gender reconstruction surgery in order to escape Germany. And, uh, but it, it gets botched. And so Hedwig is a character that doesn't have a male or female identity who is alone and wants to be basically a rock star who is a rock star to be completely honest, because Hedwig is already there. Um, but just like a rock star in a series of very small restaurants <laughs> and like really small, cheap looking venues, but Hedwig is the, the whole show. And, uh, I've gotten so many different things from watching Hedwig over the course of my life, which it's one of those things where when I get a new lesson out of it, I almost want to hit myself. Like, how did I not see that the first time? How did I connect yeah. so deeply with this? Um, and, and I didn't see that uh, that this is what the point was. I, part of it is I saw it first, I think, when I was in college, actually for a class assignment. 
And something that stuck with me real vivid, uh, vividly is my professor asking the whole class, who thinks Hedwig is a man? Who thinks Hedwig is a woman? Who doesn't know? <laughs> and who put their hands up for what? And um, I think most of everybody just like, we didn't know. Nobody knew. And it's cool to have a protagonist where you really don't know the way that they're constructed, who they are, um, and they don't fit in their world, you know, so much that the the lessons that they learn and that the reader can learn from the ways that they exist, right? They don't even necessarily need to find peace, but it's just how they exist and continue to survive, not knowing what the hell they are, um, that can really, really, I just, there's so much that you can take away for yourself and it just keeps this, you live more, you can come back to things and find more that's there. The way that, that a lot of the Raxura like approach things like gender and sex and whatever mm -hmm. can be, feel almost idealized on some level, mm -hmm. which, it, or com it, like, it is comfortable to be in that, uh, um, world to some extent yeah, I think I was thinking about when you were talking about uh Hedwig and the angry angry inch which I have not seen I was thinking <laughs> about um Catherine Valente's uh space opera yeah that's where I can see why you you get there from from Hedwig so keep going sorry <laughs> yeah yeah where um Des you know he sees himself I think as you know, as a man to some extent, but he's very, like, gender fluid and polyamorous and just, uh, like, he just moves into the world in this way that is not tied to these labels and that fundamentally disrupts these labels. Um, I think there's something really interesting about those kinds of stories and that can be very comforting in those kinds of stories to see someone who is moving through the world in a way that is fundamentally queer. And I'm not saying that this story can be queer because it is so separated from our world, but I think there's something in here that comes from like that same place, maybe, if yeah. that makes sense. Oh, it absolutely does. Um, and sometimes you need things to go that far out for people to feel comfortable relating to them. Um, mm -hmm. I think like with, with Hedwig, one of the things that always struck me from the very beginning is that in many ways it is a completely sincere love story. Um, it's not a happy love story, but it is a sincere love story. And I was really taken in by that. And in so many ways I was connecting to that part of the story that a lot of what it was saying about identity was completely going over my head. And so I came back, you know, years later and watched it and realized that it is a sweet love story, but the point of the, at, at least to me, the point of Hedwig is not about finding your identity through somebody else or through anything other than just accepting yourself and understanding that the only way you become a whole person is just by deciding you're a whole person. You know, even when things are taken from you. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that there's, um, I think there's something really very much there 
because I think like one of the things that Moon struggles with is yeah, there's a lot of pressure from other society, other people within the society that he's trying to join, but there's also a lot of like self-directed pressure that he has. Like, um, yeah, he doesn't. First of all, he doesn't ever know like what is gonna be the thing that everybody reacts weirdly to, right? Like. Yeah. <laughs> because he's so, like, culturally unable to, like, he's just not culturally literate. I mean, like, you're not mm-hmm. culturally literate when you're a toddler. And, <laughs> you know, so he's coming back into this this culture from with, like, no context. And then also he he's so desperate to belong somewhere yeah. on some level that he... he intentionally tries to appear as if he is not desperate to belong. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's it's an act of self-protection because when you want something Mm -hmm. so much and you know on some level that you can't have it, like, if you want that acceptance so much and you know on some level that you, you can't have it, that you maybe aren't deserving of it, even if that's not a true statement but it's something you've internalized because of your lived experiences like a lot of times you end up creating a lot of problems for yourself (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's easier to say well I didn't want you anyway right Um, and uh, there's a yeah there's a that is a big source of struggle I think um for Moon throughout all three books especially in the last book in the trilogy. One of the reasons that the later stories are not as much ones that I connect with, I think, Mm -hmm. is because um, in a lot of those other stories, Moon has very much, like, uh, not found himself per se, but he he knows he belongs to some extent. Like, Yeah. Well, that's good. That's character growth. That's what should happen, right? Right. Right. It is what should happen. So in the um, novellas and the last two books, the conflicts change, like the themes of it change. And actually one of the things that's really powerful that, that gets done in these last two books that I want to touch on is that um, the, uh, the fell who were like fundamentally bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of get a little bit of a redemption arc um and it's basically it's a little complicated and you should definitely read it for yourself but it's basically this idea that how can you be moral if you literally have never ever had any kind of like framework to put your morality in you know yeah that's <laughs> And in fact, everything that you've been taught and everything that's been cultivated in you is fundamentally not amoral, but anti-moral, I guess. Draco Malfoy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Not exactly Draco Malfoy, but I I see what... Well, or just the fact that, like, if your culture has different moralities, like different priorities within a moral system. Right. And the, and obviously the fell culture is to just like kill and eat everybody. And that's what they raise their babies to do. And so like, how do you like turn around from that? I think. 
and there is a lot of historically a lot of um and like issues in fantasy stories and you think about again coming back to tolkien the orcs <laughs> like and how they were just like fundamentally twisted and bad if you actually look at the origins of like where they came from they were elves who were tortured and broken and like infused with darkness essentially so you have to kind of like how do you you can't it, taking like a whole like species race whatever how whatever term you want to use and saying mm -hmm. well they're fundamentally bad there's a question there of like well is that ever actually true true yeah, yeah. so that's anyway um, no the, i was what you made me think of is uh, the Skyward series that Brandon Sanderson is partway through writing right now, uh, which I highly recommend to everyone. I feel like it could be the next Harry Potter if it caught on, because um, it's got good, good wide appeal, if that makes sense. Like, Harry Potter caught on because everyone I knew, my parents, you know, my siblings, my friends, everybody liked it. And I feel that way about the Skyward series because everyone that I've recommended it to has liked it, that, that's actually read it. Um, and sometimes it takes a little teeth pulling to get them to read it. But uh, like my brother hasn't read it yet, but he should and he'll love it. <laughs> uh, but the, the Skyward series is, so it's a YA series and in some ways it takes these concepts and it's much simpler about them um, because it has themes. And so the theme of the first book is definitely what is courage? What is what is valor? What is bravery? What does that really mean? Um, and then the sequel, without spoiling too much, is definitely more on the lines of what we've been talking about with the orcs and with the fell. This idea of um, another culture and another morality and finding depth to a one-dimensional villain or a one-dimensional uh, race or species and. Uh, I really, really like what they did. It's uh, sci-fi. The basic concept is that we have a bunch of humans who are trapped on what is basically an asteroid and they are trying to leave, but they can't because there's an alien force that it's not clear what the alien force is exactly doing, but they can't leave. They, they, uh, they don't know if they're trying to kill them completely or not. Um, sometimes it seems like they're trying to just completely destroy them. Sometimes, you know, it, it's hard to say, but they've been trapped on this asteroid for generations and we follow a young woman who wants to become a fighter pilot and um, basically drink the blood of her enemies and laugh at the lamentations of their women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she is very, <laughs> she is really like that. And um, the ways that she grows as she's challenged, the more she learns, but I don't want to go too into it because there is so much that is so spoiler heavy. Like, if you read the plot synopsis of the first book, cool. If you read the second book's plot synopsis, it will spoil you good on the first book, and it will not tell you anything about the plot of the second book, and it can't because the plot of the second book was so weird and not what I expected. Um, but the, the idea of fundamentally accepting that another species, because in this it's, they're all different alien um, species and races that they could it, finding universality in them and trying to be respectful of their the, the different ways their cultures have 
led them to value different things, different, like, like literally different moralities. There's different personal characteristics that are valued. That's a big part of the series. Um, <laughs> sorry, that is speaking of everything with, with what we've been doing. There's also sort of a, um, kind of trans race of aliens in the book series once you get farther in it which is cool uh, and i thought was handled pretty respectfully uh, so that was also exciting to see um, it, it's cool when authors are starting to give us more than just the vanilla yeah flavors and i i say that knowing like as of mob did that years ago too but there's a difference between like um the gods themselves being like one book <laughs> from one fan you know one sci-fi writer versus uh it becoming a thing that more and more authors can do and are doing so mm -hmm. yeah we're at time so um we don't really have any tasks for you this this month mm -hmm. because we're obviously all in a sort of fugue state so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, if there's something you want us to uh, read or look at in the future, yeah. then just shoot us an email at realpop.fizz at gmail.com. And otherwise, we will see you next month.